God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In the life of the church, Easter is not just a Sunday. It is a season. In the life of the church, Easter has only just begun. But how do we top Easter Sunday with its beautiful, amazing music and the church filled to capacity, to overflowing? And maybe in your homes you were preparing all week for relatives and Easter egg hunts. How do we top that? Some of us might take the day off. Some of us might be eating baskets full of sugar that we gave up during Lent that's still hanging around. But that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is not in there anymore, that God has defeated death, that is what we proclaim on Easter Sunday. So why does it all matter for us in the days following? And what do we celebrate now? A sermon that Tom York preached on this very Sunday several years ago Tom was a former pastor here of Knox Church for many years. That sermon has stuck with me ever since. And in it, he claims that this Sunday is the most important Sunday of the year. And he illustrates why this is true for disciples of Jesus. From a novel called Cold Sassy Tree by Olive Ann Burns. And I share with you an excerpt from Tom's sermon now, and please forgive my attempt at the dialect. The title and setting of this fictional Georgia town is in Georgia. The name of that town is Cold Sassy Tree. The characters include Grandpa Blakesley and his grandson, Will Tweedy. Grandpa has scandalized the town by marrying a beautiful young hat maker, Miss Love Simpson only three weeks after his beloved wife died. And since his hasty and questionable marriage, Grandpa doesn't go to church anymore. He and Miss Love have church at home instead. And here is how Grandpa describes it to his grandson, Will. We sang us some hymns, after which I talked to the Lord a while, telling him about the week. And then I preached a sermon. I didn't have no words thought out, you know. I just commenced saying things I've been thinking on lately. About the virgin birth and resurrection and all like that. I said, don't any of them things matter. Grandson Will is flabbergasted. Gosh, Grandpa, you mean you don't think Jesus rose from the dead? Grandpa answers, I'm a saying that he did or he didn't ain't important, son. What's important? is that when the spirit of Jesus come down on them disciples later, they quit setting around a moaning and a trembling and got to work. They weren't scared no more. And the words they spoke had fire in them. Compared to a miracle like that, Jesus rolling back a dang rock and flying off to heaven ain't nothing. Well, Tom followed his sharing of this passage with That's pretty good theology, and it is. The story of the resurrection of Jesus is not just about that day the risen Jesus appeared first to his dear friend Mary Magdalene, one of his closest disciples. 
And it's not about the day then he showed up for his disciples locked up in that room, afraid, that we hear in John's Gospel today. It tells us that Easter is not just a day, and it's not just a church season. It's about everything that happens after. Because Easter, we learn from the Word of God, is a way of life. The Gospel reading today from John is the same Gospel reading for every Sunday after Easter every year. As we heard Grandpa Blakesley explain it to his grandson, those disciples weren't scared anymore after they encountered the risen Jesus. And they got to work. For Jesus breathed on them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very breath of life, the breath of action, of courage, of wisdom, of understanding. What God gave to those first disciples and continues to pour out onto the world today was an ongoing, indomitable, life-giving resurrection power. John's Gospel explains to us that the reason the author wrote down all of these things that we heard was that so those of us who were not there as eyewitnesses could also come to believe, and through our own believing that we too might have new life in Jesus' name. Perhaps a better word for believe here is faith. As Grandpa Blakesley may concur, what we believe about this story, whether it's literal or only spiritual, whether it's historical or only theologically making a point, all of that is not the point. But do we, the audience, allow this story to work on us? Today, as disciples, do we allow our imaginations to consider the great truth in the story? That something about the presence of Jesus took away the fear of those disciples huddled in that locked room. It took away their dread and their sorrow. And with little or large faith, they could no longer sit still. They could no longer stay locked up. And Jesus sent them out, and they were going. Doubts and all, trepidation and all likely allowing the Holy Spirit to encourage them and move them and carry them through their fear right out into the world to carry on Christ's mission of sharing God's love and presence with everyone. No matter how little or large our faith is, friends, if it leads to action in the name of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, it leads to all of us becoming more fully alive. It leads to the ones we serve and love to becoming more fully alive in the way that God intended us for it to enjoy life. And we see this life in the book of Acts, in our passage today. This book is called the Acts of the Apostles. And once those disciples were sent out, their new title was Apostle, meaning the sent ones. And it shows us the birth of the first church. And it defines their mission as Christ's ambassadors, following Jesus' resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. St. Ignatius Loyola, 500 years ago, in his own experience with the living Christ, said, Love ought 
to manifest itself more by deeds than by words. In other words, love must be put into action. Words are not enough. And this is what we see happening with those disciples, that first church. They are filled with resurrection power, and they cannot help but speak about it. And words not being enough, they embody it and they amplify the message of Jesus. And in Jesus' name, they perform signs and miracles, just as he did. They heal the sick. They bring wholeness and new hope and new life to the suffering. The passage describes this resurrection power. How no longer afraid, they put away selfish ambition and self-seeking, no longer concerned about status or wealth or securing for themselves anything that the world offered. Instead, they cared about everybody else around them. They shared everything they had, even sold things they had, so that all who had need would have no need. And what this does then is to empower everyone to more boldly proclaim the message of Jesus. If our needs are met, we can go forth with more boldness and ability. Way back in February on Ash Wednesday when our season of Lent began, many of us gathered here at Knox Church to worship as folks did all over the world, to acknowledge the beginning of Lent, to share in the Lord's Supper, to receive ashes on our hand or forehead, to remind ourselves of our finitude. And also at that service, we were invited into a Lenten discipline to consider what we could add or subtract to our lives, perhaps, during the 40 days of Lent, or what change we could make to nurture our relationship with God. On Good Friday, near the very end of our Lenten journey, not too long ago, again, many of us gathered here at Knox to worship and to hear the story of Jesus' passion. A Knox member who attended both Ash Wednesday and Good Friday shared an inspiring story of what could only be called resurrection power working in and through his life. I have permission to share his story today and to honor his anonymity, I'll, I'll name him David. David shared how on Ash Wednesday he meditated on how to incorporate a new discipline into his Lenten journey. And the Spirit led him to give up alcoholic beverages and with the money he saved in doing that, to give that money to someone begging on the street. He was led to this in part, he shared, because of his own tendency to want to control exactly where and to whom his money goes to ensure that it goes to the best possible use to do the best possible good. To give it to someone asking for it meant for him liberating himself from his drive for control and efficiency. And it forced him to let go of needing to know whether the person truly needed that money or whether it would be put to an honorable use, in his opinion. David attended the Good Friday worship here, and on his way home, he saw a man on the street holding a sign, as many of us do around our city, and the man was asking for help, feeling that nudge of the spirit, of that resurrection power within him. David pulled his car over, 
and with some trepidation, not because he was afraid of the man on the street, but a bit fearful of the vulnerability he was going to experience, of feeling feelings he may not want to feel. And David shared this. I got out of my car and walked over to the corner where the man was standing. I asked him how he was, and he said it was hard, that he was living on the street. And I gave him a hug. He was trembling. He hugged me back. I gave him what I had in my wallet, and I told him I was sorry, and that I hoped this would help him to take care of himself. We hugged again. We were both crying. He said, thank you. And I said, happy Easter, and we shook hands. David shared, holding someone who was in such pain, thinking that I was making a difference to them, was worth more than the concern of giving thousands of dollars to people who might not really need it. I couldn't feel more like a fool for my previous thoughts, my previous concerns about giving away to the wrong person. I still have money to give away from my Lenten plan, but I don't think it will stop there. Friends, this story depicts resurrection power, how it moves us in ways we may not move ourselves, to share with people we may not share with on our own, with our own best thinking. The story of this resurrection power is our story, for it lives and breathes in us also. It falls afresh upon us every day. We may feel fear as we honestly say to God who calls us like the prophet Samuel did as a young boy, Here I am, God, send me. Or as Mary, the mother of Jesus, taught us by saying to the angel, Let it be with me according to your word. But the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit gives us courage to say yes, to face the fear, to step out into it, and with faith even the size of a tiny mustard seed, to put our faith into action. What does that look like for you today? What can it look like for you today? This table here in the chancel, graced with the feast that God has prepared for us, is a table of remembrance. And it helps us remember to look back on our own day, the last hour or 12 or the last 24, the last week, to look back on the last month or year and to remember how God was at work, to consider where did we feel most alive? Where did our hearts start to burst with love for seemingly no reason? What happened after encounters with certain people that left us filled with joy? All of those are evidence of resurrection power, of God at work in our lives, gracing us with great grace. So for David on Good Friday, what that power and grace looked like was walking through his fear to approach the stranger on the corner and to ask, how can I help you with his actions? And what about us? For you, does it mean making that phone call 
or sending that text message, the one you have put off because you fear they will hang up or refuse your call or never reply or that you might bother them. But for today, can you allow the Holy Spirit to help you make that call or send that message? Letting go of the outcomes, trusting that the God of love is at work. Or maybe for you it means visiting someone in the hospital or a care center, places you avoid because they make you feel uncomfortable or afraid. They remind you of your own finitude. Or maybe that person in those care centers or even in their own homes who cannot get out anymore, maybe that person hurt you. Or maybe you feel powerless on how to help them, so you just give up. But for today, can you allow the Holy Spirit to help you put aside all of that and go and visit? Or for you, does it mean becoming a tither to your church or to another place that nurtures you in your faith, giving back to God the first fruits of your labor, overcoming the fear of not having enough, and learning to trust in our God of abundance? that God promises to provide for you? Or does it mean for you calling your senator or representative, calling for change when you see any area of our governance that does not resemble the life of Christ or the teachings of Jesus, does not resemble the church we see in the book of Acts? And after calling, does it mean for you bringing your bodies to meetings, helping to change policy, Or maybe for you it means understanding that you have an addiction, a thought pattern that you can't get rid of that's harmful to you, or a substance or behavior that is causing you or those you love harm. We all have obsessions, every one of us. And maybe for today it means allowing the Spirit to allow you to ask for help to those who are offering it, or to ask someone how to find it. Trusting that the great grace of God wants to bring you new life. Friends, when we come to this table of remembrance today, we remember the reality that Jesus lived and breathed and walked, and that though he was put to death, he is alive. And he calls himself the bread of life, and says that all who come to me will never be hungry And all who believe in me, even the tiniest bit, will never be thirsty. Friends, we belong to a God who intends a fullness of life for us and all creation. Thanks be to God. Amen.